Chapter Seventeen of the Year When Stardust Fell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Year When Stardust Fell by Raymond F. Jones. Chapter Seventeen Balance of Nature he lay between white sheets and the stench of burning things was everywhere in the air that he breathed in the clean white covers that were over him his own flesh seemed to smell of it he was not quite sure if he were still in the world of dreams or if this were real it was a golden world the snow-covered ground beyond the window was gilded with rich yellow light he remembered something about such light that was not pleasant. He had forgotten just what it was. Maria Larson stood at the foot of his bed. She smiled as his eyes opened. Hello, Ken, she said. I've been waiting so long. I've been afraid you'd never wake up. Tom Doyle, he said. Did you find Tom Doyle? Maria frowned. I don't know who you mean. You haven't found his family yet? Ken cried, struggling to rise in the bed. Go and find them right now. I promised Tom Doyle I'd do it. Maria approached and pushed him gently back upon the pillow, drawing the covers over him once more. Tell me about Tom Doyle, she said. You've never told me who he is. It seemed utterly stupid for her not to know, but Ken patiently told her about Doyle's service, the best little station in the world at the corner of First and Green. I told Tom I'd take care of them, he said. Now go and bring them here. Ken, Maria said, all the nomads who escaped, and there weren't many, retreated around the south end of town and picked up the women and children they'd left there. They moved on south. That was three days ago. We've no idea where they've gone. Ken tried to rise again against her struggles to hold him down. They couldn't have gone so far that a man on horseback couldn't find them. Why won't you help me? I promised I'd see to it. He lay back weakly, covering his face with his arm. Go and find Tom Doyle, he said. In detail, he described where he had left the man. You don't believe what I'm saying. Get Tom Doyle and he'll tell you it's the truth. He wouldn't be there now. All the wounded, including the nomads, have been moved to homes where they are being cared for. The dead, both theirs and ours, have been burned and their ashes buried. Do what I tell you, Ken implored. With bewilderment and fear on her face, Maria stood back from the bed and looked at Ken's troubled face. Then quietly she stole from the room and shut the door behind her. He had been overworking himself for weeks, Dr. Adams was saying, and had been living on a poor diet that would scarcely keep a medium-sized pup going. Then you had a shock, the kind of shock that shakes a man to his very roots. Now you're on your way up again. Ken glanced about the room. 
it seemed normal now and there was only a great emptiness within him to replace the frantic urgency he remembered what you're trying to say doc is that i went off my rocker for a while dr adams smiled if you want to put it that way however you're fine now ken stared at the ceiling for a few moments will you still say so if i ask again about tom doyle what do you want to know was he found no maria actually tried to find him for you i'm afraid your tom doyle was among the dead i killed him we killed a lot of them and they killed a lot of our people how did it end asked ken i remember the darkness and just wandering around the streets shooting but i don't know what i hit or where i went that's the way it ended said dr adams house to house street fighting and we won don't ask me how you were in the sector that was cut off almost as soon as you entered it even where communication was maintained things were nearly as chaotic hilliard says he doesn't think it really happened dr aylesworth calls it a miracle a gift and a blessing that shows we're meant to survive most of the rest of us are willing to look at it his way i could do something for tom doyle ken said finally he was a decent guy they all were once i could find his wife and children the doctor shook his head all who are left of that group of nomads are going to die we've got to let them die just as we let the people in chicago and berkeley and ten thousand other towns die we have no more power to save tom doyle's family than we had to save them we're taking care of the nomad wounded we could do as much for just one woman and two kids we're helping the wounded until they get on their feet dr adams said quietly then they'll be sent on to wherever they came from ken stared at him there is only one thing we could never forgive ourselves for the doctor continued that one thing would be letting the earth itself die as long as there are people alive who can fight the comet we still have a chance nothing else in the whole world matters now don't you see there was no other purpose in keeping mayfield alive except to support the few people who understand the dust and can fight it beyond that mayfield has no more right to live than any other town that has already died but mayfield has to stay alive to keep you and your father and the others like you fighting the dust dr adams gave permission for ken to be out of bed for a short time he tried after the doctor had left and almost fell on his face the whole world seemed to spin in enormous cartwheels he persisted though and two hours later he was making his way slowly up college hill with the help of maria who walked beside him and lent her arm for support at the top of the hill they stopped and turned for a look at the valley below them the ruin was plain to see in spite of the snow cover a third of the town had been completely burned 
at the old skating rink workmen were clawing through the debris for usable remains of food a miserably small pile of items showed the extent of their success curls of smoke still rose from the ashes and the nauseating smell of death and burning floated over the whole valley of his own experience ken felt only a numbing confusion as yet he thought he should feel like a fool for his collapse at the height of the battle but he did not he felt as if he had marched to the absolute edge of human endurance and had looked to the dark pit below he turned to maria i'll be okay now it's time for you to get back to the radio station tell them what has happened and get their reports i'll see you tonight it seemed a long time since he had last been in the laboratory the workers were once more in the midst of their thousands of trials and failures to produce a colloidal non-poisonous form of the decontaminant which could be infused in the atmosphere of the world to destroy the comet dust he stayed until his father left at seven o'clock and they went home together he still had to depend on someone else for assistance on the steep and slippery hill when they reached home maria had a lengthy report ready from the pasadena people and one from schenectady professor maddox read the reports at the dinner table he passed the sheets to professor larson as he finished them ken saw he was not reading with his usual thorough analysis when he had finished he returned to his eating with perfunctory motions anything new ken asked the same old story a thousand hours of experiments and no success i feel we're all on the wrong track trying to perfect a chemical colloid based on the decontaminant which will destroy the dust i feel that nothing's going to come of it ken said i had a crazy dream the other day while dr adams had me under drugs i had almost forgotten it i dreamed i was walking along the street and had a special kind of flashlight in my hand when i came to a car that wouldn't run standing by the curb i turned the beam of the flashlight on it then whoever owned it could step in and drive away after i had done that to all the cars in mayfield i turned it on the sky and just kept flashing it back and forth and the comet dust fell down like ashes and the air was clean professor maddox smiled a nice dream i wish we could make it come true i'm afraid that idea will have to go back to the pages of your science fiction where it probably came from in the first place dad i'm serious ken said earnestly about making a magic flashlight his father was almost sarcastic which revealed the extent of his exhaustion ken thought he was never like that what i'm trying to say is that there are other ways to precipitate colloids we haven't even given any thought to them colloids can be precipitated by heat by pressure by vibration maybe a dozen other ways that i don't know anything about maybe some kind of physical means rather than chemical is the answer to our problem why don't we let pasadena and the other labs 
go on with a chemical approach, but let us do some work on possible physical means. Professor Maddox sat very still. His glance passed from Ken to Professor Larson. The latter nodded. I think we have indeed been foolish in ignoring this possibility up to now. I wonder if Ken hasn't got a very good thought there. Have you anything specific to suggest? Ken's father asked. Well, I've been wondering about supersonic methods. I know that a supersonic beam can be used for coagulation and precipitation. It would depend on the size of the colloidal particles and on the frequency of the wave, wouldn't it? Perhaps we could find a frequency that would precipitate the dust, but I wonder if we wouldn't have the same problem as with mechanical treatment of the Earth's atmosphere. Even if we succeeded on a laboratory scale, how could it be applied on a practical worldwide scale? I don't know, said Ken. It may not work out, but I think it's worth trying. Yes, I agree. I don't think we'll give up the chemical research, but a group of you can begin work on this supersonic approach tomorrow. The losses of food at the warehouse were enormous. Less than 5% of the contents could be removed in usable form. Most of the canned goods had burst from internal pressure. Grain and other dried products were burned, for the most part. The food supply of the community was now reduced to six-tenths of what it had been. The population had been reduced by one-tenth in men killed by the nomads. Mayor Hilliard and his councilmen struggled to work out a reasonable ration plan. Based upon the ratio of supplies to number of consumers, there was no arithmetical magic by which they could stretch the food supply to satisfy minimum needs until next harvest. There was going to be death by starvation in Mayfield before spring. Hilliard fought through an agreement in the council that the researchers on College Hill and all their families were to have first priority, and that they were to get full rations at all times in order to keep on with their work. There were grumblings among the councilmen, but they finally agreed to the wisdom of this. They agreed there were babies and small children who needed a somewhat normal ration, at least. There were over 400 wounded who had to be cared for as a result of the battle. There were also the aged, like Granny Wicks and her companions. We'll try to give the little ones a chance, said Mayor Hilliard, but the old ones don't need it. Perhaps we can spare a little extra for the wounded who have a chance of survival, but not much. We're going to see that College Hill survives. Before spring, however, a choice would still have to be made. Who was to have the remaining share of food and who was not? Privately, Hilliard wondered if any of them had a chance to see another spring. The decision to support the scientist at the expense of the other inhabitants of Mayfield could not be kept secret. When it became known, a tide of fury swept the community. The general public no longer had any capacity to accept the larger view in preference to relief of their own suffering. 
one of the college students who worked in the laboratory was beaten by a crowd as he walked through town he died the same evening suddenly the scientists felt themselves standing apart pariahs among their own people they debated whether to take the allotment they asked themselves over and over if they were tempted to take it because they shared the same animal greed that gripped the whole town or if genuine altruism prodded them to accept dr adams met their arguments you accept he said or everything we fought for is worthless you can stand the hate of the townspeople scientists have done it before and it's a small sacrifice so long as you can continue your work those of us who are supporting you believe in that work now get on with it and let's not have any more of these ridiculous arguments the suggestion of physical means of precipitating the dust came like a burst of light to the entire group as they began to examine the possibilities within a week they had determined there was indeed a broad range of supersonic frequencies capable of precipitating the dust the night professor maddox and his companions came home to announce their success they were met with the news that mrs larsen was ill during the day she had developed a high temperature with severe pains in her body professor larsen was deeply worried she's never been ill like this before kent was sent for dr adams but the latter did not come for almost two hours when he did arrive they were shocked by his appearance his face was lined and hollow with exhaustion beyond anything they had seen as long as they had known him he looked as if he were on the verge of illness himself he brushed away their personal questions and examined mrs larsen rather perfunctorily they thought however there was no hesitation as he announced his diagnosis it's the sixteenth case i've seen today over a hundred and fifty this week we've got an epidemic of flu on our hands it's no mild patty-caking kind either it's as virulent as any that's ever been experienced mrs maddox uttered a low cry of despair how much more must we be called upon to endure no one answered dr adams rummaged in his bag i have vaccine for all of you i don't know how much good it will do against this brand of bug that's loose now but we can give it a chance is everyone in town getting it professor maddox asked dr adams snorted do you think we keep supplies of everything in emergency proportions college hill gets it nobody else we can't go on taking from everyone else like this protested mrs maddox they have as much right to it as we there should be a lottery or something to determine who gets the vaccine hilliard's orders said dr adams besides we've settled all this you first ken for a few days after the battle with the nomads it had seemed as if the common terror had welded all of mayfield into an impregnable unit 
there was a sense of having stood against all that man and nature could offer and of having won out against it however the penetrating reality of impending competition among themselves for the necessities of life for the very right to live had begun to shatter the bonds that held the townspeople as one the killing of the college student in protest against the partiality to college hill was the first blast that ripped their unity some protested openly against the viciousness of it but most seemed beyond caring there were two events of note in the days following the first was the spontaneous almost valley-wide resurgence of memory of granny hicks and her warnings everything she had said had come true the feeling swept mayfield that here in their very midst was an oracle of truth who had been almost wholly ignored there was nothing they needed to know so much as the outcome of events with respect to themselves and to the town as a whole almost overnight streams of visitors began to pour toward the home for the aged where granny lived when they came she smiled knowingly and contentedly as if she had been expecting them waiting for them obligingly and with the peaceful aura of omniscience she took them into her parlor and told them of things to come at the same time frank meggs felt new stirrings within him he sensed that he had been utterly and completely right in all his years of criticism of those who managed the affairs of mayfield the present condition of things proved it the town was in utter chaos its means of survival all but destroyed incompetently its leaders bumbled along not caring for the mass of the people bestowing the people's goods on the leaders favorites he began saying these things on the streets he got a box and used it for a platform and he shouted from the street corners that the leaders were corrupt and none of them were safe unless college hill and city hall were wiped out he said that he would be a better mayor than any one else in mayfield he had listeners they gathered on the corners in the daytime and they listened at night by the light of flaming torches many people began to believe that he was right a week after mrs larson's illness it was evident beyond all doubt that mayfield was the victim of a killer epidemic mayor hilliard himself was stricken and he sent word that he wanted professor maddox ken and dr larson to come to his bedside he was like a feeble old man when they arrived all the fire and the life had gone from his eyes but he brightened a little as they came into the room at least you're still alive he said gruffly i just wanted to make sure of that fact and i wanted to have a final understanding that it's soaked into your thick heads that nothing is to interfere with your own survival we hope you're not overestimating our worth said professor maddox i don't know whether i am or not all i know is that if you're not worth saving then nobody is so if this town's going to die you're going to be the last ones left alive 
and if you don't give me your word on this right now, I'll come back and haunt you every minute you do survive. In order to haunt, you have to be in the proper realm, said Professor Maddox, attempting a joke. Mayor Hilliard sighed. I think I can take care of that, too. I'm beat. You're close to it. But you've got to hang on. Carry on with your work on the hill. One more thing. This fellow, Meggs, has got to be crushed like a worm. When I go, there won't be any election. Johnson is taking over, and he'll look out for you, the same as I have done. You're going to be all right, said Professor Maddox. You'll be up on your feet in another week. The mayor seemed not to have heard him. He was staring at the ceiling, and there was an amused smile at the corners of his lips. Ain't Mother Nature a funny old gal, though? He said, she's planned this to work out just right, and I think it's another of old Doc Aylesworth's signs that Mayfield and College Hill are going to live, so that the rest of the world will, too. It may get knocked pretty flat, but it's going to get up again. What are you talking about? said Ken. The invasion of the nomads. And then this flu. Don't you see it? First we get our food supply knocked out. And now old Mama Nature is going to cut the population down to match it. We tried to figure out who was going to eat and who was going to starve. And now it's going to be all figured out for us. Balance of nature or something. You scientists call it, don't you? He glanced up at the professors and Ken. It's a wonderful thing, he said. Just absolutely wonderful. End of chapter 17. Recording by John Brandon.